You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. How is everybody today? I'm going to try and get my PowerPoint started here. Excuse me. One second. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. New Testament in the later four-fifths of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 12. And uh, before we read, I just want to say hello to everybody who's watching. I believe my parents are watching. Hi, Mom and Dad. And uh, open your Bibles, Mom and Dad. Are you guys ready? Okay. Here we go. Let's follow along. I'm going to start in verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. After all, Jesus was glorified. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. How many of you guys have heard this story before? How many of you guys heard it last year? I, I think every year this time, most Christian churches uh, talk about it and kind of share this story because it is kicking off this very important week of Jesus' life where almost 60%, maybe even 70% of our Bibles is all about or uh, 70% of the Gospels, the four Gospels, is about this final week of Jesus' life. There's so many things that happen, so many pivotal stories, and the church really turns its heart and mind and, and worships Jesus during this week uh, because it really comes up to the pinnacle of our faith, which happens on Friday when Jesus gives his life on the cross and then three days later is raised from the dead. And that's what our whole faith is based on. And so uh, I don't know whether you're super captivated by this story, if you've heard it many times, if it feels very familiar, uh, but 
it's an important one. And as we look at it today, uh, if you're new to church, I hope that you get a new glimpse of what Jesus is about and a little bit of how Jesus' story is so captivating that it's inviting you in to be a part of that story. And uh, I, I hope you maybe take another step towards following Jesus today. Uh, if you're watching online, somebody sent this to you. Jesus wants you to follow him, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like and what Jesus did. If you're a veteran of the faith, if you've been around for a little bit, um, and maybe you've heard this story before, I hope today you place yourself as one of the people on the path. I hope that you insert yourself into the story and that you realize that Jesus' story has transformed your story, and because God has gotten a hold of your life and gotten a hold of your story that you need to do something with it. And there is tremendous power when you share your story. So that's what we're going to talk about. But before we kind of break down the passage, I just want to paint some of the context of what has happened beforehand. You know, whenever you're watching a good story on Netflix... Uh, every new episode, there's that one part right at the very beginning where they, they have what? A recap, where they say, okay, in case you missed it, this is what is happening in the story. And so I just want to kind of recap very briefly the story of the Bible. You see, we believe that the Bible is a unified story that all points to Jesus. And so and it is just such a captivating story that uh, I hope all of us become more and more familiar with. And my passion is that all of us here at our church would have a good understanding of what the story is and be able to articulate it to others as well. So God creates. God loves his creation. It is good. And he creates people. Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden, and he asks them to partner with him to cultivate the land and to, to subdue the earth, to rule. Um, they're meant to be kings and priests, and they're image bearers of God. But they are deceived, and they choose not to follow God, and they choose to go their own way, and they choose power and control, and... God kicks them out of the garden and that relationship, that potential partnership is severed. But that's not the end of the story because right there, right at the very beginning, uh, God makes a promise. Even though he's cursing the man and the woman, when he turns to the snake that, that deceives them, uh, he says, he, he, he curses him and says, there will be an offspring, a seed that comes from the line of the woman that is going to defeat you. And you're going to strike a blow to, to uh, that man, but he will overcome. And this promise of the seed and the offspring is something that's passed on in the Jewish faith for years and years and years. And so the, how the story goes is that God seeks out, the, the world gets really bad for a little while. I mean, it's as bad as it gets. And so much so that God wants to destroy it and grieves that he ever made it. And then he chooses somebody. He chooses Abram, who becomes Abraham, a father of a nation, and calls him to follow him. And he begins this new family that's supposed to be representatives of God. And the promise again is said, 
Through your seed, Abraham, you will be a blessing to the entire world, to all the nations. And then that continues. And, and if you know the story, Israel is, uh, has a famine. They all take off towards Egypt where they find some favor at first, but over some generations, they become slaves in Egypt. And one of the pivotal stories of the Jewish faith is the, the saving of these people out of Egypt from slavery to freedom and to take them to the promised land. And there is... Uh, all these different plagues and it's, you know, the whole Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And uh, there's the Passover where that is kind of the final straw that, that exits the people out of slavery into the promised land. And it doesn't go very well in the promised land. They, they do some wandering, uh, but they make it there. They end up wanting a king uh, despite God's warnings. And they have a king, doesn't go well. They find another king. He's a little bit better, but still not that good. His name's David. And again, God renews his faithfulness and tells David, through your seed, someone will come and will set everything right. And that doesn't go well either. And they ended up getting taken off into exile. And for years, they're, they're scattered again. And there's these prophets that come and shout to the people, don't forget that your God is with you, your God loves you, and one day he will bring you back, and one day he will restore you, and one day he will give you a new heart. He will pour out his spirit on the people. And that's kind of how the story goes on and on and on. And then there's this gap of time, and then Jesus shows up. And a lot of Jews at the first century were reading a lot of this literature that was wondering, what's going to happen? And Jesus shows up. And Jesus begins speaking with authority. He begins announcing that the kingdom is here. And it really piques a lot of people's interest. He heals people. He does profound miracles, um, performs signs, and loves people. And it's, it's amazing. A lot of people are really drawn to him. A lot of people have a lot of different agendas when it comes to him, but he changes the world and it's captivating. And so his whole thing that he's announcing during his ministry is that I am going to go die. And his disciples try to steer him away from it from time to time, but he's going to anyways. And this is where we pick up our story, where they are coming in to the final week of before he hits the cross. And it's powerful. And so every year, we as Christians should honor Jesus by taking time to relook at this story, re, or, yeah, rethink what is happening, and then place ourselves in that story. So let's look through it. The next day, the great crowd had come for the festival. What festival is it talking about? It's talking about Passover. And Passover was what the Jewish people celebrated every year since they got pulled out of, of Egypt. I mean, it was so pivotal to their freedom and to their story because it, it reminded them that they had a God who saves, that they had a God who cares about them and had not left them behind. And literally every year, 
the Jerusalem would go from 100,000 people to over a million as people traveled from all over to come and celebrate this, this festival. I mean, it was a huge, huge gathering. And during the Passover feast, they would literally relive the, the Passover. They would, they would go through the steps, everything that the, the, their ancestors did in Egypt they would do. They had a ceremony. And what it was intended to do was for them to place themselves in the story. That actually the story of their ancestors would become their story. And so there's a lot of meaning in, in this time. You know, you have a group of Jews there. There's probably well over a million people. The energy would have been buzzing, especially in light of all they'd been hearing about the man who raised Lazarus from the dead. Only this time, it wasn't Egypt. They had Rome that was in control. I mean, there was nothing they could do without them. Rome had basically conquered the known world at this time, and they were one of the most dominant superpowers. And for the Jewish people, this was incredibly insulting, and they wanted to be free from the oppression. So Jesus comes walking in, and what do they do? They took palm branches. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. That's why we, we get the name Palm Sunday. And the, what's interesting about palm branches is that they poke you and they make you bleed every time you have to cut them and trim them. Do any of you guys have palm branches? I don't like them. I'm sorry. I just had to say that. But they were very significant for these people. And one of the things that I think we, we should be fair to realize, or we would be keen to realize, is that 200 years prior, another oppressor was in the land of Egypt, and it was the kingdom of Syria. And they were oppressing the people, and they gave an order that Jewish people were not allowed to worship their God. And they began to take over the temple. And the temple was so important to the Jewish people because it was the place that God was intended to dwell, where heaven and earth met. And there was a revolt. And this is where the the Jewish people celebrate uh, Hanukkah. And what happened was the Maccabee family, uh, Judah Maccabee, Judas Maccabee, I'm not sure exactly which correct, but they revolted and they fought and they defeated the Syrians and they drove them out and it allowed them to worship their temple. And and this was kind of the motif of the Jews. They were... They, they would not stop fighting. And, and that's why G, uh, Rome even kind of let them to do their own thing with certain uh, stipulations. In response to them delivering the temple, they decorated it with palm branches. They, they, they scattered it all over and decorated the temple. So for these Jewish people, it had a rich history of liberation. That's where these palm branches come. So when they're laying them down, they, I mean, this is echoing this idea of Let's go. Let's kick Rome out of here, okay? And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which we sang earlier and and maybe has a little bit different meaning to us today, but to them it meant save us and save us now. Let's go. Let's get things going. But nobody understood exactly what was happening. They didn't get it. They didn't get that there was a twist to this whole thing. And I imagine for some of us too, our expectations of what it means for God to save us 
may or may not be exactly what God's plan is. I think there are often twists and turns to every great story. Uh, there's a lot of twists and turns to the very best stories. They somehow have a very uh, a, a neat way of captivating our interests. Uh, can you guys think of some great stories that have some crazy twists? Uh, how many of you guys have seen Incredibles 2? I did this one for the kids earlier. Uh, have you guys seen this movie? No, I won't spoil it. That's a bad guy. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, um, uh, The Usual Suspects. It's a rated R movie. I hope that's okay to say that I watched a rated R movie in here, but there's an incredible twist in that movie, and it, will, it makes you go, what is going on? But What's probably the greatest movie of all time that has an incredible twist to it? Luke. Does anybody remember seeing this in the theater? Okay. Like, I don't remember, like, being captivated by the moment, but were you like, what? Amazing. There's a twist. A twist. The twist captivates you. And, and in this story where we're reading about Jesus on Palm Sunday, there's a great twist, a very great twist. You see what the people thought was gonna happen. What they were asking Jesus to do was not what he was planning on doing. You see, Jesus found a young donkey. He found a young donkey and he sat on it and he rode in on a donkey. Now, a donkey in uh, ancient times was a symbol of peace. Jesus wasn't coming to make war. He was coming to make a sacrifice. He was coming to make peace, peace on earth for everyone. He wasn't coming just to conquer one nation and drive them out. He was coming to conquer the great problem of death and sin in the world. And as he's riding on that donkey, one of the gospels records that Jesus is weeping. It's not a celebratory thing when you're coming to give your life. And he, and he, he weeps because they don't know exactly what they're asking for. And, and it's, it's an amazing contrast of the world powers at the time. The world power of Rome, when they would go and they would conquer a nation, they would literally destroy it and then they would bring back captives, they would take their flags, and they would march back in triumphantly. And they would demonstrate all their plunder, and they would literally drag their slaves behind them and show, look at how great we are. And yet Jesus is walking in on a donkey with many poor people crying out to him. I mean, it's just such a huge contrast of the way that God works and the way that our world works. And nobody understood what was going on. At first, his disciples did not understand what is happening right now. But uh, it's not where the story ends, right? And the story continues because they do end up seeing what happens. And it happens a week later. It is powerful, powerful, amazing story. This story right here is just, it's captivating. It's captivating. I don't, I don't fully understand it sometimes, but I'm just blown away and I'm so intrigued. And I keep coming back to it. And, and I think I keep coming back to it and I think you keep coming back to it. 
is because it's calling to us in a sense. It's drawing us in. It's, it's placing us in the story. I mean, even from the very beginning, you, hear, you read the Adam and Eve story, and it's almost like saying, hey, if you were here, would you have done anything different? And as we look at our lives, I think it's easy to say no. But, you know, if you were on this road, what would you do? You know, if you were David, would you want to go fight the giant or would you run and hide? I mean, it's just time after time. The the gospel of Mark ends with this just rigid, like shocking ending where it's like Jesus is gone and people are running and, you know, the women are like, what just happened? And then it, it ended. And then later they added some more because it was such a sharp ending. But I think the author does that intentionally to be like, Look at the stories continuing. What are you going to do about it? See, the Bible draws you in. And just like the festivals of old, it's placing you in the story. It's making you a character in the story. All of us are characters in this story right here. And with that means that we have a responsibility to that. You see, because Jesus' story becomes our story, just like how it became Lazarus' story. You know, sandwiched right in this part of the triumphal entry is, is Lazarus. It's like the author's trying to remind you that, and it's a foreshadowing of what is to come. And just before chapter 12, Jesus goes uh, to his friend's house who had lost his life, and he weeps that he dies, but he raises him from the grave. Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You see, when you become friends with Jesus, your life can't help but be changed. It can't help but be raised from the dead. It can't help but bring you life. I mean, because that's just who Jesus is. He's in the business of resurrection. And so if you become his friend, it will change your world. It will change the way you see things. It will change the way you experience things. It will change your relationships. It just happens. And, and that's my story. I was captivated by Jesus. I, God planted a lot of seeds in my life when I was little. And then when I got into kind of my own decision-making time as a young adult, I chose to take up the mantle of fun and destruction. And I didn't make the best decisions. And after hitting rock bottom and then asking for a shovel so I could dig more and just really just be a difficult human being for my parents and uh, just everyone's around me. I, I just was trying to figure things out and wasn't doing a very good job. Jesus got a hold of me again. And uh, I mean, I can just, I remember I was thinking about it a lot as I was thinking about trying to tell you to tell your story, thinking about my story and, and hearing some of my friends' stories recently. It's, it's amazing uh, what, what God does. But uh, I remember God grabbing hold of me and, and bringing me back and saying, hey, I want you to move back home. I want you to start making some better decisions. And I remember one of my first prayers was, God, I need Christian friends. 
I, I need people that I can be around that will support me and care for me and help me to be a better person. And within just a couple weeks, I met my wife. I don't want to advocate that praying for that will mean that you're going to get married. And it took us many years to do that and, and a couple breakups and trying to figure things out. But that was just like one of the first things that I remember like God answered, like I, be, I was dead and I became alive. Like I, I changed. And, and there's just story after story in my journey. I, I see the world differently. I, I, I saw Jesus differently. I saw my vocation differently. I remember like really struggling with what I was gonna do with my life. And I was in my early 20s, um, I'd worked in, uh, in, the, in West LA and hated it. And I started to go back to school and I thought I would maybe go into some type of golf course industry, uh, loved golf. And in the midst of that, I was at Rock Harbor where last week's speaker uh, was working. And I just felt God speaking to me saying, I want you to go into ministry. And I was so scared. And they were asking, hey, if you feel like God's asking you to do something, you can come up and pray. And I remember going up and I was in tears and I'm not much of a crier, but I remember just crying and saying, I feel like God's calling me into ministry and I don't know what to do. And they prayed for me and encouraged me and it was very comforting. And even weeks later, I had someone else say it to me and then it became clear and I said, hey, I'm going to do this and Immediately, doors opened, and I was working as a junior high pastor in months. And that is just a part of my story. But my story continues on and on. And actually, I was just, I, JP, you, I, you came up to me just a second ago, and I'm sorry I'm going to share this. I hope it's okay. But you said right now that God's got a hold of you again. And has, is reordering your life again and, and captivating your heart. And you're not a spring chicken. <laughs> I just, no offense. Neither am I. You have a lot more hair than me, so I'm jealous. My point in that is God is continuing to work on your story. Every single one of you has a story. What is your story? And your story is important. Your story has value. Your story is meaningful. And I think hopefully your story follows Lazarus's that you were dead in some way and now you're alive. And that's what you have to share. That is what, when, when we're talking about the story of Jesus in these next weeks and we're gonna start inviting people, if we want you to invite people, we want you to tell people your story. God wants you to participate in that. And you see, stories are powerful. Stories are incredibly powerful because we are wired for story and we are designed to hear stories and tell stories. In fact, in the brain, we have 100 billion or so neurons. I, don't, I can't even fathom what that is like. I mean, you have as many uh, neurons as there are like stars in our galaxy it, it, it's, it's massive, and, and the brain is a huge mystery, and we don't fully understand it, and the smartest people that I've listened to don't understand it, but there is a, uh, a neuroscientist named Jack Gallant 
from UC Berkeley. And he did, he's, he does, uh, he's a neuroscientist and does research on the brain. And they're trying to figure out exactly like how the brain operates. You know, for many times, like we've heard, like we only use 10% of our brain. That's not true. Um, some of us are, are like right-brained or left-brained. It seems to be not totally the case. Although there is certain parts of our brain that do more, are like kind of like the central part of certain functions. Um, from like vision to uh, hearing to uh, doing math and doing computation and, and conversation. There's different places that that kind of happens. But what he did is he, he, he uh, would give people MRIs or CAT scans and then would, he, he was doing a survey of like where and trying to map the brain. And he started to tell people stories. And what he found was, is that when your brain is hearing a story, the whole thing comes alive. And, and how he, his words were, your brain begins to hum. It like has a buzz to it. Have you ever heard of like a, a, when a hummingbird flies by, that little bzzz, Like they're just going so fast in such unison in such beautiful way that it's just perfect. And your brain's in tune with that. And that is how your brain works. It's wired for story, which means the people that you know and the people that you love, they're wired for story too. And so the most valuable thing you could do would be to tell your story to somebody else. And many people, because they had heard someone else tell the story, came and they went out to meet him. And I imagine if you tell your story to someone, I think they might want to come out and hear who Jesus is as well. I would add that I think some of you might feel like you don't have an amazing story because you've been more obedient than you have destructive like I was and many of us in this room. And so if you don't have some radical transformation story, you probably do actually because you were dead at some point and Jesus is making you alive. He's giving you value. He's giving you hope. Share your experience of just knowing the Holy Spirit. I, God talks to me. God speaks to me. God's led me. God's guided me. It's changed a lot. All of us are broken, so all of us have been made alive in some regard. Don't lose that. If you're new and you're watching online or you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're, you're, you came because you heard or you're interested, it starts with just saying, hey, I want to follow you. Where are you going? And at the end of today, we're going to have a prayer team up here and I challenge you to come up and pray. And just like how I went up and asked someone to pray for me, say, I feel like God's tugging on my heart. Ask them to pray with you, to receive the Holy Spirit and watch your life be changed. Watch you go from dead to being alive. For some of us, it takes many times of hearing that, but that opportunity is available. Every time we meet, we want to make that available. But every one of you has a bookmark. It was on your seat. And it says on here, we all have a story 
What does Jesus' story mean for yours? Every one of you has a bookmark. Who will you tell? Who will you share this with? This is a great just little tool of like, maybe it's as simple and a first step for you is, hey, I don't know what you're doing for Easter, but we're having a service at my church. Love to invite you. Because if you care about them and you want them to go from dead to being alive, this would be a good, good thing to try. It's very intimidating. I'm not very good at this, honestly. And I can teach the scriptures very well, but that first conversation is often very hard. And I'm still working out some stuff with my own identity when it comes to that. But I encourage you to do it because that's what we're called to. Um, a couple just quick tips. Uh, tips for telling your story. Listen to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit. God's tugging on your heart. He may want you to dive right in and lead someone to Jesus right away. He may want you to invite someone to church. He may have somebody on your heart right now. He's just, if, I, I just imagine God is speaking to your heart right now and saying, hey, how about this person? It'd be awesome if you sent them an invitation. Okay? Um, listen to others first. Uh, you, this is partly like learning from others, but listen, like if you're gonna go tell someone their story, don't be like a really bad, cheesy evangelist. Like be a good one that cares about people and listens. And maybe you wanna hear their story and maybe that will open up. You have to care before you share. And, and listen to where other people are coming from. Uh, share a meal, invite people into your home. This is true ministry. Jesus shared a lot of meals with people and something that we should follow. And then be brave. Um, be brave for a few different reasons. And I'm gonna show you one that's in this passage, but be brave because God is with you. Um, I'm talking to myself right now. I'm trying to encourage myself in this because I care about what other people think about me probably more than I should. So uh, be brave and... Um, Know that it's not all on you. Uh, the same people who shouted Hosanna five days later shouted crucify him. I don't know how everyone's gonna respond. But be brave because the power of your story is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's life-changing. And for some reason, the world, the world as in the evil, oppressive side of our world doesn't like it and I imagine wants to squash it and doesn't want you to share, doesn't wants to keep people in darkness rather than in light. And I think this is why at the very beginning of this passage, when it's talking about Lazarus, it says, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. They didn't just want to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill the other guy who has a story. And there's danger and I think this is why later on that week, Jesus enters and he spends time with his disciples. And whether it's in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he dies or, or during Passover, uh, he tells them this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I've given you life. Remember what I told you. 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. It's kind of risky. They'll persecute you also. There's, for some of us in this room, for some of you maybe online, to say yes to Jesus might be saying no to something else. There might be risk involved with work. There might be risk involved with friends. There might be risk involved with family. I don't really know. But I imagine it's there. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Now, if I was Jesus' disciple at this time, sharing a meal or watching him about to go to the cross, and he tells me this, I'd be like, are you crazy? Like, what, what, what should I get excited about here? This is kind of a, a scary invitation. But immediately after that, he's not even done speaking. He says this, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Holy Spirit's gonna go with us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that testifies, but you must also testify. You also have to give an account. What's changed your life? Where have you gone from dead to alive? So I don't know where that necessarily leaves you today, but it makes me a little nervous. I, got, I, have, I have things I gotta do this week. I have a family that I'm hopefully gonna go surf with on Saturday when I hang out with Rick Yeomans. And uh, I need to invite him to come to church. And you should too. Because we want to win this area for Jesus. It's the hope of the world. Is you guys are the church. So whoever you have in mind, I encourage you to invite them. Invite them to Good Friday. It's going to be a powerful time in here where we kind of reflect on the death of Jesus. But we're going to celebrate resurrection next week and the story of that. And that's life-changing. And we're all invited to be a part of that. Wherever you're at, if you wanted someone to pray for you, right when I'm done right now, I'm gonna give a benediction. We have a team that's gonna be up here. There'll be some just music playing. Mari's gonna throw on some music. Um, pray for each other. Encourage each other. Tell your group who you're gonna invite. Help each other out. If you're nervous, say something. And let's see what God does. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.